Brooklyn. Dash, hold two heaters, block out, put holes through beaters, ghetto fast, throw through cheaters, ballin', Brooklyn Dawn, addicted to Chris, hook them down, 50 G's, hook the song, ma, I wanna see how you look in thongs, hustling, guys are simples, cause I chop rocks the size of mentos, blame me, I tried to hint holes, look at the hurt, your eyes are swing closed, pimping, here's a new way to flirt, now listen to the two way alert, it goes, Let's go, VIP, boo, raise the skirt. Holla back, youngin'. Holla back. Holla back, youngin'. Holla back. You're listening to 2, 5, and 10. Your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Stanley Cup preview episode of 2, 5, and 10. We have one person here who is, uh... A little gloomy, a little down in the dumps, and there's another guy here saying, "Welcome to the club, Benny. What up, baby?" <laughs> um, trust me, I was much more down in the dumps after Game Five than I was with the series ending last night with the Game Six loss. Uh, I texted you between games, basically saying that loss in Game Five felt like the end of the run. Um, would it have surprised me if the Rangers pulled out a win last night in Tampa? No, but like I told you, I didn't think it was very likely at all. And then factor that in with a couple very odd decisions by Gallant with the lineup. Um, kind of sealed their fate. I was at the Garden for the watch party, watch party. And, you know, it was pretty, outside of Igor's play, there was really nothing to kind of latch on to for excitement until that Vitrano goal when he tied it and place exploded. Cause we're like, all right, we got, we got our one. And the way Eagle was playing, we're like, there's no way we're going to, if we get, if we tied up at one, we have to find a way to just get one more. And then we have a game seven. There's two days off between game six and game seven. And then if you somehow pull out a game seven, win at home, you would have three days off before game one of the Stanley Cup final. And that would be basically five days, five out of six days off for the Rangers after playing 20 games in 40 days. Um, so you can <laughs> kind of almost talk yourself into, we just need to get this one in Tampa and then we get some rest for the guys. Um, Cause you can tell the guys were pretty fatigued, no matter what Miko wants to say after the game. Um, but yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are about the loss, the series, but looking back uh, already, it's a great run, unexpected run. But when you get that close, it's, it bites in the ass to uh, look back and see instances where they blew it, where they could have really put their foot down in the series. Well, I think that's always like the hardest part, right? Especially the unexpected one. I mean, you have the expected one and you're like, you know, we should be better, we should be doing better, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, you get the unexpected run, you're roped in, and it's a killer. And now, the other part, I mean, you even told me before this series, your heart was telling you Tampa in six, 
No, your head was telling you Tampa in six. Your heart was telling you Rangers in six. Yeah. And, I mean, come out the other way. Now, Vasilevsky has those brutal first two games, and I'm thinking, I, I think Tampa's runs over here. I, I think it just finally uh, came to a halt because a lot of it comes on his shoulders. And then, you know, the next four games, it is the Vasilevsky of old. And I, I saw this stat line, and I am... I'm fucking blown away by it. So Vasilevsky, in his last eight series clinching wins, has saved 219 out of 221 pucks, a .25 goals against average, a 991 save percentage, and six shutouts. That's insanity. I will say this. For all the hype that he had going to the series, I know it was just one series that has nothing to do with the last three plus years. Nothing about him in this conference final stood out to me. I was like, oh, he's the backbone of this run they're on. Last night, the Lightning just smothered the Rangers. Like, Vasilevsky wasn't really challenged at all. And I feel like that was the story of the last four games that the Rangers lost. It wasn't Vasilevsky sealing the series back. It was basically the vets on Tampa teaching the young young boys here in New York, this is how you win in a, in a Stanley Cup final, uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, now, I was going to say when... Vasilevsky was like, holy shit, look at this dude. Yeah, when Tampa finally exerted their play and shut down that neutral zone, man, it was just like, this is the clogging Tampa that I know where... They come out, they get a lead, and especially this time of the year, we, we always discuss like how you shouldn't sit on a lead, at least in general, or you know, a lot of teams. Tampa's a team that can, yeah. and they can play that dump and chase game, put it in the corners, make it very hard for you to break out. Or if you do break out, it's hard to get through the neutral zone, and they're just putting it back in the corner again and watching to do it again. But they're also and, a team that if they're down, they have no problem opening up the game completely with their talent because they know they have Vasilevsky backing them up. So, like, they can play either game. Yeah, which, uh, to me, that makes them extremely dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, as we transition towards the Tampa-Colorado finals here, I mean, that is my biggest thing, what, what you just said. For this series, I mean, Tampa can play both styles of hockey. I don't think Colorado can. I, I do think, obviously, Tampa has the better goalie. I think, you know, we could lean or agree to disagree on the defense part of it. I mean, I know they have McCarr, they have Hedman. You know, we could go back and forth one for one to see who has a slight edge. I mean, I think just off of Stanley Cup playoff experience, I'm going to lean with Tampa on that. And not to say that Colorado's defense offensively is not good, but defensively, I just don't think that they're at the rate where Tampa is. Yeah. And now and going forward, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like Colorado's been a wagon of a team all year. And, and I mean, they play fast. I, I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, quest to the cup on ESPN Plus, but I mean, even in warmups when they're showing these guys, these guys are buzzing around. Like they fly. And I'm just thinking like, could the speed be a very big problem for Tampa just with them being a little bit older of a team? And, 
yes, I do think it could be a problem. But on the other end, it's like Tampa went down 0-2 to you guys, and it didn't phase them in the least. And they just know that once as they establish their game and they play it, they're going to be effective. And I've always been that guy, I mean, with, with the Crosby and OV and for every other which way, prove it to me. Hey, you want to say you're you're the biggest, baddest dog in the bunch? Prove it. And right now, I can't go against Tampa. No way. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying all playoff long, until proven, proven otherwise, the Lightning were in the Patriots zone for me when Brady was still in New England, where until they show that they sli- are slipping, I'm picking them to go. Um, I'd rather be wrong choosing Tampa than going against them. And that's how I felt in the first round, second round, even against the Rangers when I sent you that text. I'm like, I I hope my boys win. But if I wasn't a Ranger fan, I wouldn't be picking them. Um, yeah, for me, it just... Tampa Bay can roll four lines. They can roll the Sorelli line against McKinnon. And they can, now... Point's going to be coming back. He almost played last night. I think by the time game one comes around, maybe game two, just to be safe, points I'll back. Say, uh, g- game two, I think, Saturday night. So they get an extra couple of days there, which yeah, th- so that could change them up front. If point does come back, that allows Tampa to put Stamkos on a Sorelli line. So now you have the Sorelli line with Stamkos matching up against McKinnon. And then you have point feasting. I don't know if Kadri's going to be back uh, from game one on. I'm assuming he'll be back early in the series. Cogliano's dealing with an injury. I haven't heard any updates on Kempfer if he's ready for game one. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's like you, you look at that, and it's like as – I know you have a lot of firepower up front for your Colorado, but do you really feel comfortable going into game one of the Stanley Cup final with Pavel Francoeur in that? No. And then the other point is – you have Hedman on the first pair, and you have McCarr on the first pair with Taves on the Avalanche side. Elite for Colorado. The edge for me, besides, especially if Kemper is not healthy, even if he's healthy, I don't think he's that great of a goaltender. I think he's pretty solid. You have McDonough running shotgun with the Sorelli line and Cernak. They're going to shut down. So then it's going to become a battle of special teams, goaltending, and unexpected contributors. And that's Tampa. So while I would like to see a guy like McKinnon get his cup, and this is probably going to be their best chance to do it over the next one to three years, I don't think they're built necessarily to go to basically outlast Tampa in a long series. That's what I think it is, too. In a seven-game series, you have to give it to Tampa. Now, we discuss wild cards within the series as to who to expect something from. Corey Perry, for the old fella, 37 years old, this is his third year in a row playing in the Stanley Cup Final. He's the second player in NHL history to play in three consecutive Cup Finals for three different teams. And, And I just think... You know what? People have said things about Corey Perry in the past. I mean, 
I think this shows his leadership availability. I think this shows as to how much of a competitor that he is. Like, and obviously you can say it's the team or anything else, but I mean, he was a big contributor when Dallas got there. And nobody was expected a, Dallas to go. Nobody expected Montreal to go. So it's not just a team. No, uh, agreed. And, and I think this is also too where Corey Perry plays his best hockey. I mean, he is a a nasty, nasty prick out there to play against. Yeah, just, that's why I love that Shuba hit. I loved it, but uh, <laughs> I just like Corey Perry. Just one of those guys for me, man. That's like I would love to see him go out in the sunset with another Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, even you know, big rig. Can you imagine, like, it's just crazy to think that this guy, if they're able to win it, is going back to back to back to back. <laughs> four. The four four backs. And that's what I like about Maroon. Like, even the series against the Rangers, there were scuffles. There was a near fight. There were some hits. Last night, he bowled over Shesterkin. But even in that's, that play, when he ended up in the back of the net. He didn't just let his body collapse onto Shesterkin, his 6'4", 220-pound frame. He kind of curled himself over Shesterkin. Like, even in those moments, with that big of a body, with the reputation he has, I've never thought of Maroon as a dirty player. No, I I just think it was a big fuck that's hard to move. Yeah, Like like he plays the game hard, and... It's kind of the same with Reeves. Like, you never really think of Reeves as, like, a dirty player. He's just a tough fuck. Um, but, yeah, I think we're in the same boat at this point. Until proven, proven otherwise, Tampa Bay is going to win. Um, and I know Colorado has the firepower, but we saw what Tampa Bay did to Florida. Yeah, and that's what makes Tampa like extremely scary. Like, and, and it's nothing against Colorado. It's just, I, I it's hard to bet against something that's proven. Yeah. You know, it's in, and, and that's all it is. And it's you know they have McKinnon, they have Landeskog, they have all this firepower. And and who knows, maybe Colorado can come out and they end up getting the Vasilevsky that you guys had in games one and two, and maybe they're able to you know, make him think again, and maybe they're able to do it. But I, I just think it, it is very hard to push this away. And I, I could see what happened with you guys where they lose games one and two, and then they just settle down, play their game, and they win four in a row, and they win in game six. Yeah, I mean, my thing is, like I said, before game six of the Rangers, would I be surprised if Colorado won a Stanley Cup? No. Do I think it's likely? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think you're gonna, they're going to be able to catch Tampa flat-footed because Tampa is not coming off of nine days of inactivity for uh, game speed like they did against the Rangers. And the other thing is when the Rangers won games one and two, that was the first time in three years that Tampa Bay lost back-to-back games in the playoffs. Um, I don't see that happening again, which lends itself to a long series at a minimum. If that's the case, and the longer it goes, the harder it's going to be for Colorado to win. Colorado needs this to be a short series. If yeah, it's agreed. not a short series, they're not winning it, in my my opinion. Now watch them win in seven. But <laughs> I, I just wonder, too, as to how Kale McCarr and Devin Taves are going to be able to 
react to what is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they might have been able to fly the neutral zone in other places, but if they're not able to do that here, how is that going to affect their game? And then, you know, if they're able to get through the neutral zone and then they get through the defense that is the Tampa Bay Lightning, it's like, is Kale going to be shooting a lot more from the outside as opposed to, you know, wailing behind the net and setting up plays? Or is Tampa going to be good enough to take away those lanes to kind of just make him, he'll have the puck, but he's not going to be able to do anything with it. Just kind of wing around the net. All right, no one's open, no one's open. All I got left is just throw it behind the net and then the Tampa D or their forwards can get to work. I mean, Tampa did that pretty much all series to Fox, Panarin, and Zibanejad. I know, and that's just what I'm saying. Like, I just don't know how Kale being so young in this league and for the most part, he's been able to do whatever it is that he wants, in essence, the last couple of years. So for him to be able to go in and do that, and if it's not working for him in over the course of a seven-game series... Are we going to see a breakdown? Are we going to see him hit a wall? Well, like I think this is very uh, for Kale McCarr's future as to how he reacts and adapts to this. Yeah, I mean, every team in the league has tried to do this against McCarr, but I think Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is built in a unique way to do it. Every time McCarr is on the ice, they're going to pound him. Oh yeah. Like, and every line, it's not just one line. Like, you can't just send a maroon line out there against Makar and not get caught flat-footed and he takes advantage. All four lines and all 12 forwards at Tampa Bay play the type of game where they can hit him, slash him, hook him, pull after him. It's not going to be an easy going for him. No, and I mean, that's what makes me, like, very interested to see here as to how Tampa matches up like at, at home, obviously they're going to have the last change. Yes. Yeah, um, out there. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I think you see the big rig out there. And if Makar's out there, it is going to be a beautiful handsy sauce, soft chip floating over everything. So the big fella can take as many strides as he needs to come in there and lay the wood. Like he's coming in and he is going to finish everything. And if I'm also doing matchups, if I'm coop, I'm putting Perry, once Kadri's back, I'm putting Perry out there. Oh, to take Kadri right off his game. That's <laughs> Yep. No, uh, that, and that'll be it, too. Like, Corey Perry has that effect. And, I mean, th- that's a wild card, too, for Colorado. I mean, if Nazem Kadri comes back, I do believe that they're a lot better of a team. But at the same time, A, is this injury going to hinder him? And, B, I mean, is he finally going to fall off the rails? Because this is a career playoff for him. Yeah. Right ahead of free agency, too. Yeah, ironic. You know, that always seems to happen. <laughs> um, uh, I I think a big loss, too, for Colorado is Gerard on that back end. Yeah, I know that they went really easy th- through Edmonton, but losing Gerard is a killer. Yeah, you need all hands on deck and healthy against Tampa. Yeah, so that I think that's a big hole. And I love Bo Byram, but at the same time, I, I don't think Bo Byram can jump up and do all that, at least this early in his career. What's your official prediction? My official prediction, I'm going Tampa wins it at home again. Tampa in six. I'm going Tampa in five. All right, so even easier. Yeah, I I think everybody's expecting this to be an all-time series. I think Colorado is going to get there. 
oh shit okay so that's how you win the Stanley Cup moment (laughs) but you know what though too I also think that that is a crucial thing for a team that is this young to go in there and have that moment too because it makes you know as to what you have to do to play better well and like you know what Columbus swept them we created the monster yeah I was gonna say I, I I agree I think I think that's right uh after Columbus swept them, they created the monster. But I think if Colorado goes in here and loses, and if it's rather handily, four or five games, I can almost guarantee you that Kale McCarr does not have the year offensively next year that he did this year to keep something in the tank for when the playoffs come around. I think that you will see a better condition and a better played team it's almost like when the Penguins had lost to Detroit that year. Yeah. And it's just they needed to get to that peak to see exactly what it was to now go, all right, boys, we, we, like we got the formula now. We, we know exactly what it is. And, you know, I, I could see Hedman looking at him and be like, kid, like, you know, I'm passing you the torch, but, you know, you want to be it, you got to beat this. Like, that. that's what I think it comes down to. Who do you think is going to get the Conn Smythe? Because... For the first time in a long time, there are two choices, legitimate choices, that aren't even playing in a Stanley Cup final in McDavid and Shesterkin. That's a good question. I mean, I think regardless, it'll have to go to someone that's in the finals. Yeah. I don't think that they'd ever not do that. They just I think, fly Shesterkin in. <laughs> yeah, I think the last person who won on the Jaguar, Stanley Cup yeah. losing team, yeah, was Jaguar in 03, I believe. So, so we're going back a little while. I mean... Stammer turned it on this this last series. He he finally brought it towards the end there. I mean, if Vasilevsky is able to come in and shut the door, is it going to be him? I mean, they always seem to weigh goaltenders a lot. If Kale McCarr is able to keep on his playoff pace, I mean, it could be him. And not to mention, too, I mean, we haven't even really talked about Nathan McKinnon as to what he could possibly be doing. So I just think that, there are a lot of options here as to where this thing could go. I'm going to go Andre Pilat. I was going to say, for Andre Pilat hitting UFA, coming out with a Conn Smythe and going back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, <laughs> be, pretty, be pretty good. Um, Sp- speaking of leaving, though, too, did you see, uh, well, I know you saw it, the handshake line with Gaudreau, you could tell that he was a uh, huge part in that locker room for him. Yeah, Cooper spoke to him a little bit longer than everybody else on that, on that handshake line, too. Um, especially, I think, I mean, breakup day, and this lets me kind of segue back into Ranger-specific talk here, but tomorrow's breakup day with the media for the team, and that's when injury news starts coming out. The obvious mm-hmm. one is Strom and, and Lingren, uh, updates on them. But I think it's going to come out that Goodrow probably rebroke his foot on that headman block. Oh, uh, probably. I mean, I don't think his foot was ever 100% yeah, to begin with. So Because you would see him on the ice skating, and he was basically limp skating. Um, so he was definitely playing through another foot injury or the same foot injury. Um, the other injuries for the Rangers, Strom, obviously it's a leg issue. Uh, Lingren, it's a body issue. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you think the Rangers have a great plastic surgeon on like speed dial? Because that guy's face is gonna need to be worked on. Yeah, I mean, he—it's a minimum of a high ankle sprain. He has 
face cuts, face bruises. He probably has uh, a broken bone in the upper body somewhere. Um, the other guys that might not be as obvious, the three for me are Andrew Kopp. Uh, he took a pretty solid hit in round two against Carolina in game three, and then from that point on had two points the rest of the way. Um, and he was not as noticeable. Panarin, there had to be something up because even because even when he's kept to the outside, like he is a finesse player throughout the regular season too. So it's, that's not a surprise. But he would always show more, I guess, like grit, like agitation when that would happen. Um, this one again, especially against Tampa, when the play wasn't there and he was pushed off the puck, he was just like, "All right, well that didn't work." I was also that handshake between. Panarin and uh, Kucherov. I was kind of waiting for, yeah, to to see if there was going to be any. uh, I don't want to say retaliation, but as to the reminder of that was that handshake line with Columbus when they had won that year, and Kucherov would Panarin did not really see eye to eye there, and I was like, I wonder how ugly this is going to (laughs) be, but it seemed to be all right. Yeah, the last one is Fox. Um, Was not the same player he usually is. Yeah, not even close. Towards the end of the Carolina series, even with like the games that he played well, like games one and two, after every play when the whistle was blown, he would basically look skyward and look like he just did suicides. Like it was, there was something nagging him. Um, obviously, not enough to keep him from playing or playing solid, but I would expect some type of news to come out about Fox as well. Um, the Strom injury lets me talk about some of the lineup decisions that Gallant made for Game 6. I don't have a problem breaking up the lines to try and get something going. You had one, uh, one even-strength goal since Game two, uh, since game 3. Like, it's just not working, so might as well give something a shot. My issues were Strom has been trying to gut it through. He's obviously not contributing in games four and five. He comes out for the pregame skate before the game last night, leaves the ice because he tweaked it, comes back out, and Gallant makes a decision, I'm going to keep him in there. And then Strom doesn't even make it through the second period, and now we're playing 11 forwards. You can't do that. I know Strom's gutting it out. I know it's... Gallant's very loyal to the guys that, you know, I go with the boys that got me to here. But you can't put yourself down to 11 forwards, or even if he is playing, 11 and a half forwards, essentially, in a must-win game on the road against Tampa Bay, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. You need everybody there. No, agreed. You can move cop to center, and you can put somebody else on the right wing. At least you know you're going to get three periods plus from that line. So that's my first issue. The second issue was scratching Kako. In place, they put Dryden Hunt. Now, I know the thought process was likely we need to get more of a forecheck going and spend more time in the offensive zone. And we can do that by cycling. The only issue is Kako is the best possession driver of any of the Ranger forwards in the playoffs. More than Mika, more than Panarin, more than Kreider, the best. 
So if your goal is to spend more time in the offensive zone, wouldn't you want to have that type of play going? And then you're breaking up the kid line, which has been our most effective five-on-five line to the eye test and advanced metrics since the Pittsburgh series. You broke it up once before and you had to put it back together. They break it up. You bench cock up for Dryden Hunt when you're struggling to score. Dryden Hunt had less points in a regular season than Kako has had in the playoffs. Like, I don't know what the overall point is. So you put yourself in a position to be down to 11 forwards or 11 and a half at a minimum. And then you take out one of your most effective five on five forwards to put in Dryden Hunt. Then after the game, when he's asked about it, he says, now it's not the time for me to get into it about the decision to bench Kako. Now is not the time. That's not a normal well, well, response. When is when is the time? Yeah, but it's like it's after the game. Yeah, like, but what are you waiting for? What's weird about that is if it was just like a coach's decision, he would say that. So that tells me that there's something else going on here. Kako took pregame skates. He was one of 13 forwards taking skates. I wonder if there was some type of situation in the locker room between him and Gallant. And I mean, that's why you got to think. I'm not going to get into it because he's not going to air dirty laundry right after the game. I mean, maybe, but at the same time, right? Like, usually, and I mean, the playoffs could be different. You know, maybe they wait till actual morning skate to say who the scratches are and who's not while on the ice. But usually you walk in and the lineup's on the board for morning skate. You know, whether you're in or you're out. And maybe the Strom thing was another part of it where. Maybe Kako said something to him during thing like, "Hey, he's fucking hurt. Like, I know you're not happy with me. You don't want me in, but like, I'm better than a hurt Strom. Yeah, and maybe yeah. that pissed Gallant off. Maybe you know, I make the decisions, not you. Yeah, drop your fucking ego. If that's what it come came down to, drop your ego in Game Six of the Conference Final. You got to put your best forward, your best team out there. Um, unless Kako physically assaulted Gallant or threatened his life in front of the team, he should be playing that night. Maybe he did. Maybe when he found out he wasn't playing, he fucking lost his mind. that's what I mean. Like, if it comes out to something, obviously he didn't threaten his life, but, like, something that crosses the line happened, that's... If that didn't happen, that's a fucking terrible decision by Gallant. Um, The other thing is the long-term ramifications. Kako's a RFA this summer. Correct. Yep. Under Quinn, he was benched, fourth line, eight minutes a night, no leash. Gallant comes in. He's played better. He played better this year. I mean, I know he was injured for 31 games with their broken wrist. Um, playoffs come around. A key contributor on one of our best lines throughout the playoffs. Must win game scratched. If there was a blow up behind the scenes, he why not? I'll fucking sign an offer sheet. I mean, I, I honestly don't know what. Uh, like Kako has not had the best three years to begin with. Yeah, you know he he had the trials of David Quinn, and he comes in like you said he had the wrist injury. Then he comes back and now he's playing. I mean, what is his next contract? I'm assuming it has to be some sort of bridge deal. If he, but what is it? It, it can't Rangers, be too much. Yeah, if he's staying with the Rangers, it's a two-year bridge deal and probably around like two, two and a quarter. 
I was going to say, probably it has to be like two. Like, yeah. just, I don't think he's earned himself bigger money yet. Because, I mean, we yeah, just signed. Oh, no. I mean, it, it's like, even DeBrusque is a comparable. I mean, DeBrusque is at four yeah. on an RFA. And it's like, Kako's nowhere near there. Yeah, but if you're a team that's like, the Rangers can't afford to match an offer sheet for Kako. So if you're a team, I'd say he might be unhappy. He was the former number two pick. His advanced metrics are strong, like the underlying numbers. Well, Kaku looks like, I mean, he's still 21, right? But what it looks like he's developing into isn't a franchise forward or star score. It's that key cog to any line he's on in terms of possession, driving play, getting offensive zone time. Basically like a Nechuskin on Colorado. Is that underwhelming for what he was expected? Sure. But is that an extremely valuable player? Fuck yeah. Um, so if I'm, I'm GM and I'm like, the Rangers can't match, he, he might be unhappy, and we can sign him to a, not a monster offer sheet, and the Rangers still can't match, and all we need to give up is a first and a third to get that type of player? Why not? I'm thinking, and I mean, not even crazy, but just kind of thinking about it. What about your buddies across the river there in Jersey? I mean, it's a very young team. You could throw him in the lineup with, put him with you know, <laughs> you can put him with Hughes. You can put him with Heeshear. You can put him with Mercer. I, I just think you have a lot younger team across the river, and they have plenty of cap space. I think it's like twenty-three million bucks, so yeah, twenty-five. It, it'll be really so even if they spend three million, Jersey. I mean, if he if they only spend a two-year deal or three million a year, I, I think that they could get maybe a different player. Yeah, I mean. I don't get it. I think it was very short-sighted and also hurts long-term, especially if there was some type of blow-up. If it was just a coach's decision and he and he didn't want to kick the kid while he was down by saying he wasn't playing well enough to play in game six and he was trying to protect him last night, but him but not I mean, bringing it came off weird, that's one thing. But, I mean, you can just say it's a coach's decision. I make the lineup. That was who I picked. Like, that's it. Uh, moving on. Like, don't have to. I make the lineup. I did it. I think he he also, like, during the game, I didn't see this because at the Garden they didn't show any, any of this stuff, but when Emily Kaplan did the interview on the bench, she asked him, like, can you provide any insight into your lineup decisions tonight? And he goes, nope. So then I think after the game, season's over, irritated. They get asked about it again. He probably he could have gotten defensive, and she was like, like instead of saying coach's decision, he was like, I'm not getting into it because he was – kind of defensive about it who knows i need to know what happened with kako if it's going to lead to a situation where you know we traded leah sanderson because of a falling out with the organization vitalik kravtsov has gone to russia twice now because of an argument with chris jury from his rookie season and if it's another situation where the organization is running a number two overall pick at a town of 21 years old like what the fuck are we doing here so that's one thing. Um, the other thing about the series overall, just really quickly, I said this after game three, that was the series. We were up two games to none. We had a 2 nothing lead in game three, and we let Tampa Bay back in it, and we lost four straight. Once we lost game three, 
I told you and I told a couple other people. That was it. I'm still holding out hope. I'm trying to be hopeful. But you can't let the back-to-back cup champs win game three like that. Once they did, series was <laughs> over. And that's what ended up happening. And then the two goals that Shesterkin gave up last night. The first goal was the first time in his NHL career he's given up a goal off a rush from that spot on the ice. He's faced that type of shot 41 times in his career. He's made 40 saves. The only goal in an elimination game in a conference final. Go figure. The second goal, the Samco's won 21 seconds after Vertrano tied it. Holy shit. Talk about a fucking gut punch. But I got to ask you. I don't think it was goal interference. I don't think it was... He knocked it out of Igor's glove. I think Shesterkin, when I, he initially argued... He probably felt like he saw the glove uh, puck in his glove. That was his argument, most likely. But even if the puck was up in the air, my question to you is, wasn't there a, a punching follow-through with his arm, like a little forearm shiver that directed the puck into the net? Like I didn't see the that. Like from the goal cam. The puck comes up, and you see Stamkos' left arm follow through, and his elbow come out from his side of his body as he drives by, and then a puck hits off his arm and goes in. See, I, I thought Igor started going crazy about the kick. Like, instantly started kicking. He thought it was a kicking motion. I I didn't think it went off his arm. I, I thought just kind of the way it went in. At first, on the first glance, I was wondering if they were talking about goalie interference. That's what I thought, too. If you had when to they sh- yeah, but when they showed the second angle, it's in Igor's glove, it's out, now it's free. But it's when Stamkos's skate, his front skate, hits Igor's pad as he's stretched out. But the puck's already in the net at that point. Yeah. So I'm like, you can't call interference if the puck's already by him. So I was like, I, I thought it was a good goal. Yeah, I think Igor is just trying anything. Because he knew at that point, but um, yeah, I thought Igor made the save initially because nobody really reacted on the, on the ice quickly enough until Samco started making that curl up back towards the blue line. So I thought he made that save, and everybody at the garden was like, just started jumping up to be like, "Holy shit!" Like another season-saving save. By Igor, and then all of a sudden you just see the ref point his arm, and Stamkos ha- start throwing his arms up, and it was like, "Holy shit!" We j- finally just came back and tied it, and they go right back up by S- with Stamkos. Like shit. Well, yeah, I was blown away that it was the twenty-one seconds. Like, yeah, me, me and Strat were still talking about the goal, and then that happened, and we're like, "Oh fuck, game's over." Yeah, and the last thing is, game three, I, brutal way to let Tampa Bay back into the series. But can I just... I need the reference. The open net miss by Ryan fucking Strom in game five. No one there. No one touching his sick. No one checking him. No one leaning on him. Vasilevsky not even in the picture. And he misses the fucking puck. Get off my team. I don't want to see you. Ever again. Spoken I mean, that, that's the fans, shit. Man. That's the shit that changes series, man. Like, you, you can look back and it's that if you miss game. something like that, yeah. It and then we're up the game too. Yeah, 
a lot different of an outcome. Yeah. So get the fuck off the team. I know he was gritting, grinding through a leg injury. See ya. Thanks for everything. Fantastic trade that brought you here. Ryan Spooner for Ryan Strom. And then we got three years of second line center play out of you. Let somebody else pay for your fucking decline when you're not playing with Panarin. Um, but yeah, other than that, next year, it's still kind of raw because like I said at the top, I didn't expect him to go to the conference final. Not that they weren't good enough to do so, but then when you get there, it changes the whole dynamic of a loss. Like, oh, it's unexpected, but now that you're here, you want to win it. So the lost things, Mika and Kreider after the game were pretty broken up. Um, one thing, I'll say it looked like Kreider was hugging everybody as they were coming off. You, you think Kreider's done? Nah, I think it was just after the game. I think it was just he knows it's hard to get there. Like he, it's been what is it? Uh, eight years since he went to the Cup final. So to get this close again and to be up two nothing in Game Three, and you know what I mean? It's like who knows if he's going to get back there in his career even though he still has like five years left in his deal. Who knows? You never can't expect anything. No, um, you can't. Meek after the game at the podium when he was like, he was asked to describe your feelings and he was trying to put it together, his statement. And then it basically summed it up with, I just didn't want it to end. And I was like, God, oh, yeah, that got me. <laughs> uh, yeah. jo- join the club, brother. Yeah. Join the club. But I mean, moving forward, you know, Fox is 24. Keandre Miller's 22, Truba's 25, Lingren's 25. You know, you have the young guys up front. Um, even Mika's, like, on the right side of 30. Igor's 26. Like, there's no reason we shouldn't be on a start of a run here for deep playoff runs. But we're against the cap, my friend. So... Vertranos is not coming back. We can't afford him. Unless he wants no, to pay for a million after, dollars. Not after the playoff he had. He, he just made himself a lot more expensive. Yeah, so Frankie's gone. Strom's gone. If somebody wants to really overpay for Cop, he's gone. Um, and we're pretty set on the back end. You have our top four set in Schneider's one, one half with the third pair. I, we can't even afford to sign a third pair guy. Um, it's basically probably be Zach Jones's job to lose. Uh, they play on the left side with Schneider, but up front, let's say everything's okay with Kako. You basically have Mika, Kreider, Panarin, Heedle, Kako, and Lafreniere for your top nine, and you need a couple additions there. And your fourth line is Sammy Blay and Goodrow to start off. Not a bad spot to go from, but then when you look at the cap situation, if you re-sign Cop for 4.75 or $5 million a year, you basically have like $3 million bucks to play with to fill like two or three spots. So that's why I think alien, potentially alienated Kako is stupid because you're going to need him and his con- type of contract. But we might be looking at a situation where... And my other thing is... I'm comfortable having Kreider on the third line next year. You know, he's a power play guy at this point. Um, he, he's not going to score 50 goals again this year. He's going to probably regress back down to 25. So now you're trying to replace 25 of his goals. Where is that coming from? So 
going to be tight off season, but it should be the start of a couple season run here. Um, but yeah, my hot take that I told you about the other night was it, it will never happen for intangible reasons and tangible reasons such as the no movement clause. But I would be open to training Panarin. I mean, just for cap space, you'd have to be. Cap space, his value is never going to be higher because of it. The season he had 90 points, almost 100 points. And also, a lot of those points were on a power play as assists, and his underlying number has started to decline this year. So this would be the only chance you might have to get out of it without having to buy him out two or three years from now. Um, it'll never happen, but that was my thought of like, how can we, you know, have a stronger overall team? I just wish the NHL in a certain, in some ways was like the NFL where you can renegotiate contracts for guys and lower their, their uh, salary cap total by converting it to a, a bonus. So Panarin doesn't lose any money, but we get to save some, uh, cap space. I know that's illegal, but I wish I was a scenario here because fuck, we need it. (laughs) See, I think that's the only one thing I like about the NHL is that hard cap because you look at football every year, and to me it's always insanity because you never know, all right, this guy's getting paid X amount going into this, and then they change it up, and it's like, yeah, well, now you're not getting paid that, and now it's this, and now it's that, and blah, blah, blah. You're like, and it's a signing bonus, that- so it means it's only 25% counts this year, but then 60% counts next year. But if he retires and this happens, like- <laughs> Yeah, but it's like legit. It's like every year you can basically change it. And the other part of it is what is the convenience factor of signing long-term with someone? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, day-to-day it changes. Oh, they get X amount of guaranteed money. Well, not, yeah, it's not like, anymore. NFL is guaranteed money. That's it. Just yeah, it's the just. The rest of the contract says. Yeah, it's just a uh, a strange, strange thing the it's way it breaks down. the NBA, down. though. They have the bird rule, and then they have the mid-level exception, and the mid-level exception is different based on specific teams' prior year salary. It's like so I can't keep track. That's why I don't really follow follow the NFL and NBA like business-wise as much as baseball and hockey because it's just too much shit. I have too much stuff going on. You know, I don't even, I don't even have kids. You have kids. Like, there's no way you're following along with the NBA salary cap. <laughs> I, I will say this though for the NHL to make something a little bit more different. I think they're going to have to wiggle things a little bit in where in the NH, uh, I'm sorry, the NBA where they do have like those quote unquote max contracts. Yeah. They might have to start doing that in the NHL just for when guys hit free agency, at least then it's square across the board. You already know what it is. So then it's like, if the New York Rangers want to offer your max contract, go the New York Rangers. If, the Devils want to offer you, because like, no matter where it is, if it's the same amount of money, then it's kind of the ball's in your court. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. Rangers are in a pretty good spot. I mean, to be honest, and we'll get into this over the summer, obviously, the Metro division sucks. Like, Washington and Pittsburgh are on the back, back nine of their run. The Flyers are a mess. The Blue Jackets are a mess. The Islanders, who knows what's going to happen with them. The Devils are on the up-and-coming side of it, but I don't think they're ready to compete with the Rangers or Hurricanes. So the Rangers are pretty much 
if everybody's healthy, guaranteed number one or number two in the division next year. So it's just going to come down to how they're able to fit everybody in, health, and then hopefully this was a pretty good learning experience for everybody to realize when you have a team down, fucking put them down. Also, one other random thing, too. The Lightning versus Avalanche is the first Stanley Cup final in NHL history to feature two teams that don't end with the letter S. Oh, wow. Oh, another interesting little party uh, facts for you. This is the first <laughs> Stanley Cup final since 19... I want, I'm just throwing out a year because I forgot the exact year. Let's say 89. That someone who hadn't played with Yaramir Yager is in a Stanley Cup final. I saw that the other day. I was like, that's awesome. So, three decades. <laughs> Of uh, dominance here. It finally comes to an end for all Yogs. I think that means he needs to come back next year. Maybe he'll play one year league minimum deal to Rangers. Put him on a fourth line and power play. <laughs> well, any uh, shout outs, sir? Uh, shout outs. Yeah, I'll go. We talked about this before we started recording. Um, but. Old pal, I say that in quotes for you, uh, but I mean it for me. Uh, Eric, Eric Lindquist of, well, when I was there, the Worcester Sharks. Uh, play-by-play guy for the Sharks organization for a few years. He, he transferred out over to San Jose when Worcester moved and became the Barracuda. Uh, but he did play-by-play. He did uh, PR management work for him. He gave me my first shot summer intern when we were in college to work for the Worcester Sharks. So kind of foot in the door of pro sports. Uh, he brought me back, hired me after graduation. So my first job as an adult after graduation was working for a professional hockey team. So I always have to uh, give him credit and thanks for that show appreciation there. But he recently passed away unexpectedly, 43 years old, which is incredibly young. Um, no idea what happened, but as far as, you know, you and I are pretty loyal dudes. Um, and there are a few people in my life who, even if not friends, always have some form of gratitude for, and Eric was one of those. So, uh, stick tap for Eric, uh, and, you know, wish he had a couple more decades to go before, uh, he passed on, but that's my shout out for the week. Eric was a uh, Eric was a funny dude, man. Like I, I can tell you, we had a lot of laughs on the bus together. Of uh, oh man, I, I remember we went up to Manchester one day. You mean and, Vegas? <laughs> man, and we did go to Manch Vegas, <laughs> and um, we, we steal a big two points from them in the middle of this hunt, and we completely cleaned out the coach's beer fridge. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so now we're driving back, and I mean like. Whitey has the beers on ice. He's tossing it. Kev, you want another beer? I'm like, I'm never going to say no. If we're free and we're on the bus, like, absolutely. So we're crushing beers and we're going back. And they never refilled that uh, coach's beer thing in Manchester. Like, it would be refilled with Powerades and waters and all that shit. But never any more beer. So that always make me laugh every time we go there. See what you did? We can't even get a drink after the game anymore. <laughs> but uh, even while we were on the bus, it was funny. Like... <laughs> We'd be coming back from 
Manchester, Portland, Springfield, whatever, and you know Eric now has to do the post game write up. Yep. yep. And it would just be funny because Kev, what do you think about this? Sharks sink Springfield, <laughs> or like something like that. It'd I used like to write those to the home games because they couldn't <laughs> afford to have another staff member go on the road. So he would do the road recaps. I would do the home recaps, and he would always ask me that too. He would text me like. What do you think about this for a title? <laughs> and like, it would just be funny because he's just on the way home and full of laughs, full of personality. I mean, I don't think I've ever met, at least in the AHL, a more loved or hated man. Um, <laughs> I never met somebody who loved Mohican Sun as much as he did. Oh, my God. Uh, everything was a bet. Yep. Um, I used to love when we'd have Sunday afternoon games and he would give um, – the sheet's out. So you'd have a sheet. You'd play a full sheet with um, teams on there, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So him and Roy would play it for the football game. So I'd have the big screen on with the game that I'm logging, and then the screen next to it's kind of all the football updates. And, you know, Roy would just sit, sit there just like, oh, fuck me. I'm down fucking two games to Eric Cox. <laughs> like, and it would just be <laughs> – and it would just be funny, like the certain things like that. And uh, they were doing a ceremony of life, uh, actually, right before we started recording. I was listening to it. And Vinny Ferriolo, the old Worcester Sharks equipment manager, he actually left the year that we went there. Uh, and we ended up with Critter. But Vinny had a great story of uh, he knew the equipment guys there. And he knew Dan Bilesma and all that. And come to find out, the weekend that they're actually down in Wilkes-Barre, Word gets out that Dan Bilesma is going to be the next head coach in Pittsburgh. And I guess Dan Bilesma gets fucking wasted. Just starts drinking beers, having himself a day. And uh, I guess later on, Vinny uh, goes by the room to say hi because he knew the trainers and Bilesma. And he goes, hey, Dan, uh, this is Eric, blah, blah, blah. He's our radio guy, blah, blah. And I guess Bilesma is just shit. And he's like, are you one of those radio pussies? <laughs> and... I guess him and Lindquist start wrestling and like shirts are ripped, ties are like scratch. Like, I guess they wrestled around the whole the Wilkes Bear coaches room. And if you look at the press conference of Dan Bilesma becoming the next head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, you see scratches on his neck and his face that those are from Lindquist. So it's like the shit like that, the, <laughs> the, the, what do you tell you about the flight into Newfoundland as to how they thought they were going to die? Yeah. Just, he had a story for everything. And he always seemed to, he always had a guy. It, it was always like, Eric got a lot of shit done, even though I busted his balls through everything. I remember we went out Friday, he had on this suit. Sunday we're at the thing and he has on the same suit, but Eric would always give me a shot he, and he chirped me about something. And I go, didn't you wear that same thing on Friday? And oh my God, like whoever it was in the front office, one of the girls was like, he's very busy, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Like I just started laughing and he's giving me this look. Like I'm going to, it was just, it was always fun with Eric. It was always good. Yeah. I mean, he let me come on as a color guy on the radio broadcast a few times. Um, one of the first thing, one of the first things I ever said, it was funny because they were playing in Manchester at home. And, uh, oh, my God, blank on the guy's name. But one of the forwards, the Rangers traded to L.A. when they acquired Sean Avery initially, like J.P. or J.A. something, um, was playing for Manchester. And the entire first period comes and goes, and I didn't say a single thing. 
<laughs> and in, intermission, it goes to radio, uh, goes to commercial, and he leans over and goes, you're going to fucking say anything? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I didn't know when to jump in. I didn't want to throw you off. And he goes, just fucking jump in, man. He's like, it doesn't matter. So the second period starts, and the very first thing I say is, you know, so-and-so was part of the deal that sent Sean Avery uh, to the Rangers here. And without missing a beat, he goes, Puck dumped into his own. Nobody cares about your Ranger fandom, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was one of the ones they said today? Oh, um, it, you'd actually be surprised as to how involved, you know, the NHL club is with the AHL club. Yeah. And they were talking about how um, Kevin Shea, he's one of the, he's basically the sports guy in Worcester for the whole town, covers the Sox, the, well, now the Railers, used to be the Sharks, but all the sports in Worcester go through him and the news station out there. And he came up with the, they were doing a live broadcast one day. They were talking and they started talking about nature wedgies, which are basically instead of getting your undies pulled over your head, someone would pull your pants out and they would take a handful of dirt and sticks and throw them in there. And now you got sticks and dirt all up in your hoop. And it was a nature wedgie because you'd start moving. Everything gets stuck. And this came in during a broadcast one day. And San Jose calls him on Monday morning and goes, Eric, like, we have to talk to you. And he's like, yeah, what's up? And they go, you talked on radio for (laughs) four minutes in 20 seconds about nature wedgies. Like, there was a game going on. In a typical Eric fashion, he was always on the offense, never, never played defense, always on the offense. And he goes... Well, yeah, the game sucked. It was boring. I figured we were talking about something the people wanted. So what? <laughs> and I don't think San Jose knew what to do with that or anything, but I was just dying. I was like, oh, yeah, that is incredible. The last two things, by the way, I just Googled it. It's, it was Mark andre Cliche that was part of the oh. trade from the Rangers to L.A. Uh, okay. for the Avery deal. The other two things were... The, how stingy he always was, and that's how he would get back at you for your chirps with your road stipend. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, the, the funniest part about that was, so he would get it in, in two ways. So he he would try to be slick, and, you know, you, you'd get your per diem on the road, and, I mean, the AHL per diem is the joke, whatever bucks. it is, like 25 <laughs> bucks. But So you got to pay the – they'd have the menu wherever they are ordering from, all right, so you have to write how much your thing is in there, and then you have to say, you know, plus $2 tip for everybody, so the whole team would tip out. And, you know, by the time you get back, it would be like a cold sandwich or anything else, blah, blah, blah. So San Jose at first was like, they were even being stingy on per diem. And you'd ask Mud, and, oh, no, I didn't get the email wet for, email yet from Wayne, just waiting, blah, blah, blah. So now Roy comes to me one day, and he goes, hey, did you get your per diem? I, I haven't got anything. And he goes, motherfucking motherfucker. Like, it'll just Roy. Roy's the best. So we get on the bus one day, and I'm there with my hand. Hey, where, where's my dough? And Eric goes, I don't have you on the list. And Roy jumped up from his seat. So Roy gives me his per diem. And then he rips Eric a new one. And then Eric doesn't know what to do, kind of like bottom lift quivering. And he goes, oh, well, that was what Mutter said. And fuck you and fuck Mutter. I fucking got the email. I talked to fucking Wayne. He's like, it's $20 a fucking game. He's like, I'll give him the fucking money then. <laughs> but it was just like, it would just be so funny. It was like, you'd be battling over 20 bucks. You'd get a cold sub waiting for you. Yeah, Speaking of cold sub, life, 
Speaking of cult sub, yet again, like, th this is one of those AHL things, you know, now that we're on the topic of it, I just got to touch it. Um, the players, when ordering, would put their number as to which player uh, ordered. So if you're Ben Stewart and you're number 37, or Sean Sullivan, number 37, you would put 37, I don't know, uh, chicken parm dinner. Yeah. So I wrote one day on the thing, Kevin. Because, yet again, that's my fucking name. And, you know, Roy and Cunny would write Roy or Cunny, and Eric would write Eric, but all the players would just have their number, so when they got off, they could go through the thing, grab their thing, and go. I get on the bus one day from Hartford, and I'm looking in the fucking thing, and I'm going, where the fuck's my food? Like, it was like a chicken parm sub. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, really? <laughs> and I look two rows back, and there's Kevin. Can I guess? Can I guess? You you can guess, Kevin yeah. Hendy? Kevin Henderson. Yep. <laughs> like, just Hendo, just stuffing his face <laughs> with the thing. And I look at him and I go, hey, what's your box say? And he goes, dude, I don't know how they knew my name. <laughs> and uh -huh. I just turned to him and I picked up 57 and I said, hey, what did you order? He said, a chicken parm. It's perfect. And I just took his and went there. And every time after that, I would write video on the thing. <laughs> so there would be no questions whatsoever because Kevin had like, so oh, my God, what a got, fucking I mean, movie. they were young, like, first taste of pro hockey. So it was funny to, like, oh, you would go to work. It's for a pro hockey team. But you realize some of these guys are, like, our age yeah. and just fucking – either goofballs or idiots and it's just like oh i had no idea how the world works <laughs> oh my god like there, there were some guys there like i love nick patrecki i, I love matt Irwin. Just, just great great guys yeah. uh sully was always good I, I just good and uh um Tommy wingles Wings was the best. Wingle sat behind me on the bus yeah so, so we would always shoot the shit going you know portland hartford or whatever and Wingles too. I mean, he was he was a tough prick for a little for you know not yeah, the biggest of guys. He made it run in the league for a while. He he would always uh, I mean he was always in the middle of everything. It, it, Tommy was great, and, and you know, more than you know anything, it was say, nice. Two quick things. One, it looks like future Boston Bruins head coach Jay Leach, um, but he was on the Sharks while we were there. The, yeah, Jay was there. Well, um, I mean, not to get personal, but he was also married to Tappan when we were there. That is no longer, but... Yeah, I mean, I remember when she came to the game for, like, a meet and greet. I brought uh, Mike because he had a huge crush on her. And they took a photo together, and Mike put his arm, like, around her. And then as soon as the photo was over, he came over to me. He's like, I'm never washing this hand again. <laughs> well, the the worst part about that whole thing was... So, you know, basically, we were able to get... Catherine Tappen because we had Jay Leach. Yeah. And we traded Jay Leach before Catherine Tappen night. So it was one of the more awkward things. Where she's but, like, uh, this isn't an agreement to have to go. Yeah. And I mean, granted, Tapp was great. Like when I was in Lowell, too, uh, Jay was in Lowell. So I, I knew her from there. And, you know, the Tapp was always very nice to me, very formal. You know, hi, Kevin. Hi, yeah. Catherine. Blah, she needs blah, to be on the ESPN or TNT broadcast. Oh, my God, dude. We need her back. Need her back. Love that woman. So, last thing is we were talking about, like, the, the good guys, and like, the humble guys or whatever. 
I think both of our favorite was uh, Wingles. But the one guy who always came across to me as like, uh, yeah, I'm a pro hockey player type, like I'm the shit, was Benny Ferrio. I'll I try to know who else I love too. Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton was oh, probably yeah, my favorite. Oh, one uh, of the, uh, Tyson, remember? Oh, the big sexy. Oh my god, big yeah. Sexy. And um, yeah, who knows? Uh, oh my god, who who was the other one that was with him? Um, it was. He, he's still playing in the show. Oh my god, he was on Carolina or whatever last year. But but he was great too. Like <laughs> these guys were great. I mean, we used to have great time shooting drinks, and we always. Always ended up at Unos. Yeah. Benny would always rope me in. <laughs> I would tell him I'm not going. He's like, "Come on, I'll buy you an app and a beer." And I'm like, "Those real? It's those half price apps that are killing me." Like, you know, I'd always have to stuff down that anything to delay having to make that drive from Worcester back to Newton. Yeah, I was gonna say the the drive was whatever, but it was like when <coughs> it happened when you got in from Bridgeport at like you know one in the morning, and then yep. you had to drive like 45 minutes. It was like. Or you had a three-game homestand where huh. we would drive from Newton to Worcester six times one weekend, and then the Saturday night game ends, and you go to Uno's, and then it's like one, two in the morning, and you're just driving down to Mass Pike, and it's just dimly lit. It's just the monotony of the road, and you're just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, this is brutal. They're like, and we'll be back tomorrow. Hockey, <laughs> hockey, yeah, hockey. Back tomorrow in less than 10 hours because it was always an afternoon start. Oh, yeah. The Sundays were always like, what, like two or three o'clock starts on Sunday, yeah, which yeah. made it that much more of a turnaround. I'm trying to think who else we had that year. We had Mikey Moore up and down. Mikey uh, Moore was had, a good dude. Erwin. Erwin, I loved Erwin. Maddie was a great guy, really uh, nice guy. Cheech was there. Cheech was there. Cheech was Matt great. Cheech was there. Uh, Staylock was there. Uh, Justin Braun, Andrew Desjardins. Yeah, no, dude, Brawny was awesome. Um, yeah, Desi was great. A- Andrew Desjardins was a really nice dude. Jamie McGinn was there. That's who it was. That was who was with the big sexy at, uh, at Uno's, Jamie McGinn. Yeah, we bought him shots, and then he's like, I'm not playing tomorrow, sure. And then the next day, he's like, hey, you're in. <laughs> the, the funniest thing about that, too, which probably got me in trouble, was I remember, uh, uh, Mutter was right across the bar as we're all toasted and taking shots. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Probably going to hear about this one tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did you mention him? But uh, McLaren. Frazier was there. Frazier was a yeah. good dude. Winnipeg boy. Yep. Staylock was there. I'm trying to think. Hutz was there. Like yeah. the, We had a really good team. A really good team of guys. Like, I it mean, was really San Jose good. for a good 10 years churned out undrafted college free agents that would come in and have like a five, six-year NHL career. Dude, I, I'll say this. I mean, Roy and Cunny were probably the best at developing young talent just yeah. day in and day out and just what they put out for NHLers. that organization. Yeah, just for what they put into that organization, they they did a lot. And I will say he ended up on a Rangers this year, Justin Braun. Um, he was part of two of my most favorite stories – during my time with Worcester. The first one was uh, after the first homestand home stand weekend in Worcester, our first year there. So we're both interns still at this point. I, I had to do an interview just with Braun. Um, and then I expanded to be about all of the local Boston guys from BU and BC that are on the team that year. So they're like, 
they're 23, 24. They're our age. And like, you just want to come over to our apartment and talk to us. Like, you don't want to hang around a rink anymore. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I went over and it's like a halfway decent place. They're basically bunking together. And the only thing they had set up in a living room, it was a TV on the floor with an Xbox. And it was Call of Duty and NHL. And they're like, hey, you want to just play with us and ask us the questions? I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) Um, And the last thing was, Braun was also one of the guys who, and I called him first when you guys were on that road trip. And I needed to do the player interviews, and I called him during their pregame naps. And uh, Roy called up Eric fuming. Who the fuck is calling my boys? During their pregame shit. What the fuck is going on? And then Eric calls me and say, like, I thought you already did those interviews. I'm like, I saved like three or four. I figured I'd get it done before their game today. And he's like, yeah, don't do that ever again. <laughs> yeah, for the love of God, please. So somebody, it wasn't Braun, because I've talked to him before. But one of the boys had to like go to Roy and be like, yo, people are calling me during my nap. I didn't nap right. And I'm like, dude, you're 23, man. Bro, the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, we had a who else is on? We had Marku on that team. We basically had half of the UMass team. Uh, yes, we had Corey Quirk. We had um, we had you, Marku. You know who I remember you just not as a person, as a player that you didn't like. Oh boy, Lucia. I uh, yeah, it's, and uh, I hated Schultze too. Schultze as a player, I was not <laughs> a fan of. I was like, oh man. Sean Sullivan, man, he was our Adam Fox back in the day. <laughs> and I'm trying to think who else was there. Dan oh, DeSilva. we had um, I love Dan DeSilva. Dan was great. We had um Cam McIntyre, the kid from Princeton. Yeah, and he could not skate at all. <laughs> like I'm like, I don't know, I don't know why we signed this guy, but yeah, we got him. Yeah, I feel like we can have a whole episode about Worcester days. I think that's what we should do. Once is the season ends and right after free agency, like a little summer one to keep people going, we'll, we'll do a little yeah throwback to Worcester. Yeah, because we're we're trying to make this one drag now. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So we both have Tampa winning the Stanley Cup for the third year in a row. You have them in six. I have them in five. Uh, with our track record, Colorado's going to sweep them in four. Um. But you will not hear from us until the Stanley Cup has been lifted. So enjoy the final. Starts Wednesday night. Hopefully it's a good series. Um, but, yeah, we'll see you for a Stanley Cup recap and a really quick offseason preview in terms of free agency dates, draft, uh, the date of the draft, uh, key deadlines, and then we'll start building into Bruins Rangers offseason previews things like that, and then uh, take us all the way through until training camp. What Benny said, I ain't repeating any of it. We'll catch you (laughs) after the cup. (laughs) Bye-bye. We've only just begun to live white lace and promises a kiss for luck and we're on our
We start 